Here's a beautiful passage in the book of Revelation that says, One day we will stand before him a pure spotless bride. The church, us, this gathering, all of our flaws, all of our mistakes, all of our past, all of our baggage. One day we will stand in front of God and we will be pure and spotless, kind of the way that that video described. And it's all because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That is a beautiful passage. And uh, as James takes us through this letter, through this series of self-evaluations, I keep reminding myself of how very, very flawed I am, which means I have to continually remind myself of the power of Jesus Christ in the cross. So if you look at the bookshelf here, you'll see that where we're going to be today mostly is in the book of James. You can always turn to the book of James, keep your finger right there. There's going to be a key passage that we're going to look at from the book of Philippians, which is one of Paul's letters to a church in the city of Philippi. I'm going to refer to a proverb and maybe a couple of other things too, but that's that's the bulk of where we're going to be today. As my family and I are pretty new in town, you know, you guys have different stores here than we have up north. And so um, we, we, every now and then we'll see something that we don't recognize and be like, I have no idea what that store is. Hey, let's walk into it and just see what it is, you know. For example, when I ask the lady at Bell's, is it Bell's or Beal's? And she laughed at me. I'm like, well, I'm not from around here. So anyhow, it, you know, every now and then we'll see a store and be like, hey, I wonder what that is. And so that happened in Claremont. We were up Route 27. We went to eat somewhere that we had never heard of. And then we walked out and there was a store in a plaza. I was like, hey, I wonder what that store is. I, I can't even remember the name of it. But the name made me giggle. I can't remember the name of it. But it was something like Belches or something. I don't know. <laughs> see, it made you giggle too. But any, I can't remember. But anyhow, we're walking... We're walking through this store. It's just a department store. It's like a Kohl's, but not as nice. I don't know. It's something like that. And we're walking through the store. And it's like, okay, this is what it is. You know, Janine's checking everything out. And Celine and I are just kind of cruising along. And um, there aren't very many people in the store. But there's a lady over here that's stocking or pricing or doing something. And then kind of across the big aisle, there's a lady over here that's doing the same thing in a different department. And we're kind of walking down through the middle of them. And as Celine and I got like right there, this woman kind of raised up and she said, Margo. And I went, Polo. (laughs) And Celine started laughing and I immediately went, I mean, I just, I couldn't believe that that just blurted out of my mouth. It was like I had absolutely no control of the words that were coming out of my mouth. And Janine, of course, just kept walking. I'm not with them. I'm not with them. She just kept walking. She, she literally just kept walking and walked right out the front door. And so Celine and I are trying to catch up. But it, it, it was just crazy to me that, that I, I literally, I mean, that just came out of my mouth, you know? And, and how many things just come out of my mouth that I just blurred out during this moment and, and I feel like I have absolutely no control over it. That's what James is talking about. We're going to be in chapter 3. We're going to look at the first half of chapter 3 of this letter of James where he's talking about controlling the tongue or taming the tongue. I know this old preacher that told me that when he was a young preacher, and he was old when I knew him, and that was a long time ago, but when he was, you know, this country preacher out in Ohio, and, uh, and he said that, yeah, one time I preached from taming your tongue, and I took a cow's tongue, and I nailed it to a board, and I took it in there and showed everybody, and I can't remember the exact point that he made with that, but everybody just say, yuck, Okay. <laughs> I got nothing like that for you today, but I do have some statistics for you, okay? And this is pretty interesting to me. Um, The average 
person, okay? So this is not the extremely shy person. This is not the overly talkative person. But the average person every day speaks enough words to fill a 50-page book every day. Some of you are going, ah, it take me six months to speak that much. And some of you are going, I do that before lunch, you know? <laughs> and, and, and that's true. But we're talking about the averages here. And I find that really interesting. And if you do all of the math, what you find out is that the average person spends one-fifth of their entire life, one-fifth of their life with their mouth open, talking. One-fifth of your life is spent talking. And friends, that is a lot of opportunity, a lot of opportunity to do something good with your words, isn't it? It's a lot of opportunity to build people up and to encourage people. That's a lot of opportunity to tear people down and to degrade people with your words as well. But as I look at this, and I think about myself, I have to keep reminding myself of this application, that God's expectation for me is progress, not perfection. God's expectation for me is that I am growing in Jesus Christ, and I am becoming more and more like Him. Not that I am Jesus. I will never be perfect on this side of, uh, of eternity, but I can be on a road that is leading me to be more and more like Jesus as I grow spiritually and as I mature. So God's expectation for me is progress, not perfection. So let's begin looking at what James says about taming the tongue in James chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12, and I will interrupt myself several times through this. So in verse 1, James says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. James is saying, now listen, this isn't meant to discourage people from becoming teachers. This is meant for us to take the, 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 the role very, very serious. That if you're going to be a teacher of God's word, if you're going to share God's truth with other people, take that very, very seriously. Because if you're a teacher of God's word, you can expect a higher level of accountability. And in this context, and in this section of passage, I don't believe this is just some random commercial, some random thought, oh, okay, hey, let me address the teachers. I believe that it is in the context of taming your tongue. And I believe that he's saying this, some of you are harming your ability to teach with your words because your words reveal what's going on inside your mind and inside of your heart, and you're not fooling anybody. You sound all spiritual. You sound really, really holy and righteous when you're in church circles, but when you leave those circles and you're away from church, the way that you use your language is hurting your testimony. He might be saying something like this. You seem very good at pointing out everything that's wrong in the church or in relationships in the church, but you're not very good at helping people be pointed to the solution. You may have a lot of knowledge about the Bible, but your attitude and the way that your attitude spills out of you causes me to warn you that you, my friend, should not be a teacher. This is really hard for me, especially because I get really passionate about things and, and I've always been like that, but I've also always thought that I was really funny. And I'm not always as funny as I think I am. And so sometimes getting passionate about things can lead me to be very argumentative, very sarcastic, rude, disrespectful. And oftentimes in my adult life, I have done those things intentionally, not just blurted out something by in the heat of the moment, but I have intentionally used my words to hurt other people or to win a debate or to win an argument and, and say whatever needed to be said to win that argument. And I've done that. And that's just in elders' meetings. No, I'm just kidding. 
I have been in, not here, but I have been in elders meetings that got really, really heated. One guy said that he was reading the minutes from an elders meeting and the elders, and and the minutes said that the meeting adjourned at eight. The Holy Spirit left at 7.30. So, you know, things can get heated when you get passionate, but even in the midst of your passion, how can you learn to control your tongue and to honor God with the words that come out of your mouth? I I have a really important question here. Is there hope for me? Thank you. Does God expect perfection from me? Okay, well, well, how can I show progress in this area of my life? And I think that's what James is addressing here. So let's continue verse 2. James says, we all stumble in many ways. Oh, I want to underline that and I want to circle it. We all stumble. Okay, all of us are imperfect. Anyone who is never at fault in, the, in what they say is perfect and able to keep their whole body in check. He's saying, listen, if, if you never flaw, if you never stumble with the words that are coming out of your mouth, then you're a perfect person. And, and not only can you control your tongue perfectly, but your whole body. You are perfect. Is there anybody perfect? Okay. The word that he uses here, the, the Greek word that's translated as stumble, is a verb that emphasizes that everyone continually fails to do what is right. We all stumble. We all continually to, to stumble. We all continually fail to do what is right. But that doesn't mean that we can't be making progress. Then he goes on to say, if you never stumble with your words, then you're perfect. If you never stumble with your words, then you're perfect. Now, as I look at this and I read a bunch of stuff, there are kind of two options for, for what he could be saying here. And one thing is perfect may refer to perfection. He could be saying, hypothetically, if you were able to perfectly control all of the words that come out of your mouth, then you would be a perfect person. Now, we know that no such person exists, so he's making that point. You know, you would be perfect if you could do this. You can't do this. No, none of us can, so none of us are perfect. But there's another possibility here. He could be saying, you know, this word perfect could also have been translated as as mature or whole. And he could be describing those who are spiritually mature and they have grown to have the kind of control that James is talking about here. That they are are growing and they've had that past. They've made all of those mistakes. But as they have become more and more like Jesus Christ, they have grown to maturity to where they, they, for the most part, can control the words that are coming out of their mouths. They they have tamed their tongue through the help of God and and the work of the Holy Spirit. You know what I think about both of these options? I think they both fit really well. Okay, I think that they both make a great application. They both fit. They are both true. So I don't see a big need to to pick one of them. Okay, so I think that all of that is true. If you could do this, you would be perfect. There's no such perfect person that exists. But also, as we grow into perfection, as we're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ, we will look more and more like that person. Verses 3 through 5. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Your tongue, even though it's very, very small, it has the power to control many aspects of your life many aspects of who you are and it has the control or the the power to to steer your direction and to influence everything about your life verses 5 and 6 consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark the tongue also is a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body it corrupts the whole body it sets the whole course of one's life on fire and it itself is set on fire by hell he says, your tongue is like fire. 
the tongue's sinful world, words can, can spread devastation rapidly and, and far. And the Bible has a lot to say about those kinds of words that come out of our mouths. The Bible has plenty to say about gossip and about slander and about using words to be divisive and, and hurt relationships in the church or in the family. And, and here's what the Bible has to say about it. God has no tolerance for that kind of behavior. God has no tolerance for that kind of speech. And, and the Bible actually uses the most harsh word you could ever imagine about how God feels about that. The, the Bible says that God hates that kind of behavior. Hates. And you can find that. You can scratch this in your notes. Proverbs 6, verse 16. There's a list of things that God hates. And this kind of speech is, is demonstrated in that list. Proverbs 6, 16. Verses 7 and 8, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He says you can tame a dog, you can tame a duck, you can tame a dolphin, but you cannot tame your own tongue. It's impossible. Only God, through His power, can help you gain that kind of control. And then in verses 9 through 10, here's a very, very sad statement. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Have you ever said to someone when you heard them say something that they shouldn't have said? Have you ever heard this? Or maybe you've said it to them. Hey, you kiss your mother with that mouth? Have you ever said something like that? You ever had something like that said to you? No, you don't have to tell me that. But, you know, it it just doesn't make sense that out of the same mouth can come blessings and can come cursing, and it just absolutely does not make any sense. Now, cursing here in this this situation, it's not talking about cussing, okay? Now, that's that's a whole different topic, and that's bad language, and, and it fits into this application. But he's talking about something that's actually much deeper than that. He's talking about using your words to inflict harm on other people. Okay, that's what he's talking about when he, when he talks about cursing. And how can such polar opposites come from the same source? Verses 11 and 12. Can both fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He uses these illustrations from nature to, to give us an idea and to demonstrate the depth of our sin. And friends, I believe that the genuine believer the one that is being transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ, will not contradict his profession of faith in Jesus by the regular use of sinful language. So originally, you can see on your notes there, originally I had five points. One, two, three, four, five. They were all numbered and organized and everything. And as I continued to study this throughout the week, I was like, you know what? There's really only one point. And I think that there are five examples or there are five reasons for that one point. And so the one point here is tame your tongue. Okay, James is saying tame your tongue. And then James gives us five important reasons to tame our tongue. And so we'll go through these bullet points. And the first one is this. The tongue has the ability to condemn. The tongue has the ability to condemn. The person that is using their tongue and the example that he gives is a teacher of God's word and and. You know, he's saying, you call yourself a Christ follower? You want to teach about the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ? Your behavior is making it very unlikely that you'll be effective as a teacher of God's word. And you will be judged more severely. Your own words and the way that you use words have condemned you. Also, the tongue has the power to control. 
the power to control. It sets the course and the direction of our lives. You know, language steers culture. Language steers morality. Language steers the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we respond to things. And as I think about some of the, some of the, I want to use the word great, and I don't mean good great, I just mean big and powerful great, but I think about some of the great movements that have happened in mankind, and I think about things like, like the days of slavery in this country and, and the way that language was used to degrade people as though they were less than human so that then we could have some kind of conscience and treat them the way that we wanted to, be, that we wanted to treat them. And, and I, think about, I think about World War II, and I think about the Holocaust, and I think about how they were treated as less than human beings and that this incredible rhetoric was used by people that were really good at giving speeches and they would get and they would they would motivate massive amounts of people to believe a certain thing language is powerful and the tongue has the power to control the way that people think about things and the way that they respond and i think man we we've come so far haven't we i mean we would never fall for that again you know, we've learned. We're much more intellectual now. We're much more sophisticated, aren't we? We're so much more civilized than during the days of slavery or during the days of the Holocaust. We're so far beyond that. And then I think about the way that language is used on the, for example, the topic of abortion. And I think about how language is used to shape and to mold how we respond and how we think, to, to allow us to, to see a baby as less than a baby, as less than a life, so that we can treat it the way that our culture and our society wants to treat it. And so that language is used. So it doesn't matter that, that he has brain activity. It doesn't matter that, that she has a heartbeat. It doesn't matter that he has his own DNA. It doesn't matter that she can be seen on an ultrasound sucking her thumb or smiling or actually responding to some invasive object coming to her and trying to, to hide and run away from danger. None of that matters. We don't, we don't call it a life. We call it an it. We don't call it a he or a she. We call it, you know, we don't call it a baby. We use language like fetus or it's just tissue, or medical waste, or even mo- most recently, it, it's, it's a product to be, to be stripped like, like the parts off of a used car and then sold to the highest bidder. It's not a baby or a life, it's a choice. It's not a baby or a life, it's, it's medical care for women. And so we, we're very careful about the language that is used You know, we, we're, we just recently remembered 9-11 and the nearly 3,000 people that died on that day in this devastating and horrific attack against innocent people. And it was an attack of hatred. There's absolutely no doubt. And so we remember that and we become so solemn. And, and my family and I have visited the, the memorial in New York City. And, and I mean, it is just heart-wrenching when you see some of the objects that are there in the museum. And, and when you see this huge monument that has all of the names on it, it is, it is amazing and it's tragic. And I want to tell you that every day in the United States, we have another 9-11. Did you know that? Every single day in the United States, between 3,000 and 4,000 babies die. But because of the language, the intentional and the strategic language that is used, 
We don't see that as a life. We don't see that as a baby. And so we're able to turn our heads and, and just kind of let it go. And any time that I talk about a topic like this, and today it's just an illustration of, of one point in the sermon, I, I know that statistically we probably have someone in this room that has suffered the devastation of abortion. It could be a woman that has gone through that choice, or it could be a man that, that pressured a woman or, or led a woman to that pressure where that choice was made, and, and I know that. And so if that is you, there's something really, really important that you need to know as I use this as an example today of, of the incredible power that language has to control. I want you to know that you, know, you just like so many others, fell victim to this strategic and intentional language of our culture and of our day. Just like so many did when they turned a blind eye to slavery or when they turned a blind eye to the murder of Jews. And I want you to know that in this place you will find nothing but grace and love and acceptance because you're sitting in a room full of sinners right now. And it's just important for me to pause and to to mention that. But the tongue has the ability to condemn. It has the power to control. It also has the devastation to consume. The tongue has the devastation to consume, to destroy. You know, I've never seen a real forest fire up close. I've been, I've been close to a couple of fires, you know, a house fire and a couple of things that were just stupid accidents that got out of control, but then were quickly remedied. Um, a while back before we moved here, we were here on vacation, and for some reason I was driving up Route 27 through Claremont, and I looked over and there's a field on fire, and I kind of freaked out a little bit. It was a controlled burn. It was all under control, and they were just kind of getting rid of dead stuff. But man, I mean, it's crazy when you see that. Now, I've never seen any of the fires like we see out in the Midwest and in California especially. I've never seen anything like that with my own eyes, but we've all seen it on the news. We, we see the devastation. We see the homes that are being burned. We see all of that, all of that destruction and lives lost. We see the devastation of the consuming fire. And there's something interesting about fire, you know. It's very different than a lot of other elements. Fire can, can start with one spark or one match and can burn down an entire forest. Fire can start with one spark or one match and burn down an entire city. I mean, I think about, I think about how the city of Rome, the slums of Rome were destroyed by Nero, and then later he blamed the Christians, okay? That happens shortly after this period where James wrote this letter, or he'd be using that as an example, I'm sure. And so we see the, the consuming devastation of fire, but you know, it, it's very different from a cup of water, right? One match can start a forest fire or destroy a city, but one cup of water, you can dump it out and it doesn't start a flood. Is that right? It, it doesn't multiply. There's something unique and powerful about fire that is so, so very, very different. And James says that the tongue itself is like a fire. It can be destructive and it can, it can kill everything that's in its path. James goes on to say the tongue itself is set on fire by hell. Now the Greek word that he used here, and it's only, it's only, this Greek word is only used in the Gospels by Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then outside of the Gospels, this is the only time that this particular Greek word is used in the New Testament. And it is the word Gehenna. So the Greek word that's translated as hell could have been translated as Gehenna. And Jesus used this as a really powerful illustration when he was teaching about hell. You see, in Christ's time, there was a valley called the Valley of Hinnom, H-I-N-N-O-M. 
And this valley of Hinnom was southwest of Jerusalem's walls. And it served as the city dump. And it was a place where garbage was thrown and burned. It was a place where the bodies of criminals would be burned or lepers or dead animals. And, and because of, uh, there was so much there in this big city of Jerusalem, this, this little valley was always burning. It was always on fire and the stench was terrible. And people grew to hate that place. And then if you study in Old Testament history, back in the days of King Josiah, that had actually been a place where, where babies were burnt on an altar, where, where there were burnt sacrifices made to false gods. And King Josiah came along and put an end to that. But the Jews continued a hatred for that location. And that location turns into the Valley of Hinnom, which becomes the city dump that is just always on fire. It's always burning during the days of Jesus. And they hated it. And Jesus used that place to to symbolize the eternal place of punishment and torment. And one day our spiritual enemy will inherit that place. The one that, that has used the tongue as a tool for so much evil. Well, the next bullet point is that the tongue has the inclination to combat. Could have also, I'm trying to keep with C's here. Could have also used the word conflict. Okay, so you might want to write that in your notes. But, but the tongue has the inclination to combat. It, it combats Satan's attempt to fight who we are in Jesus Christ and to cause us to believe something else about ourselves. James says that the tongue is a restless evil, that it is full of poison, that, that it can do so much hurtful and harmful damage to people. And, and what do we send our kids out into the world with to, to combat this? A couple of little poems, right? Finish this poem for me. Sticks and stones may. Yeah, that is so stupid, right? It's not true. Words hurt. Words hurt. Words are devastating. And I just said that was really stupid. I think I need to learn to control my tongue better, right? I'm still working on that. And then, and then there's the other poem that, that probably a kid came up with. I'm rubber and you're glue bounces off of me and sticks to you. And, and again, it's not true, okay? The words, hurtful words don't just bounce off of us and have no effect on us, but they are devastating. And so we try to cope with these things, but the truth is, and I've said this before, but I, I love this, this illustration. I love the picture that it puts in my mind. You can't unring a bell. You can't unscramble an egg, and you can't unsay a said word a word that has been hurtful or harmful. You can't undo that. And words are devastating. I read that suicide is the third leading cause of death in America, and it results in 4,400 deaths per year. And bullied victims are 7 to 9% more likely to consider suicide. And in Great Britain, the studies actually say that half, one half of all youth suicides are related to bullying. And I think about the devastating and hurtful words that combat the truths that God loves you, that you are special to him, that he loves you so much that he wants to spend eternity with you. And how Satan uses the hurtful words of other people to to cause us to doubt that and to drive us far from that. Devastating and hurtful words. Words that, that most of us are not very equipped to overcome. And this isn't just kids that are bullied, is it? I mean, the bullying changes as you get older. I mean, it, you know, it, it looks a little different. 
But still, I, I've come to believe this. When kid bullies grow up, they become adult bullies. I mean, unless the Holy Spirit enters their life and there's a transformation that takes place, bullies grow up to just be bigger bullies. And, and usually the, the adult bullies that I've encountered are cowards that like to stay at a, at a safe distance and just kind of lob their hurtful words at you behind your back and, and talk to other people and, and don't have the courage to stand face to face and tell you what's on their mind. But, but bullies use hurtful words. And those words combat who Satan, Satan's trying to interfere with with us believing who God says that we truly are. The next bullet point is this. The tongue gives us the tendency to compromise. The tendency to compromise. You know, so many times when we blurt out something that hurts other people with our words, we want to say something like, well, you know, that's not really me. I was just really stressed out. I was just hungry. Hey, Frank, eat a Snickers bar, right? Like that commercial. You're such a diva when you're hungry. So we... we we want to say things like, oh, I haven't had my coffee yet. We, we want to have excuses for being hurtful to other people. But the truth is, that is who we are. You know, we are bitter inside and we are hurting other people. So let me ask you this. What is the source of our words? The heart, right? Our words come from our minds and from our hearts. Absolutely. So I'm going to ask you this. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapevine bear figs? Can blessings and curses come from the same source? James is saying no. And yet, our words come from our hearts, and so we have to, we have to come with a conclusion here, Okay. So if our words come from our hearts and we have both blessings and curses coming out of our mouths, well then what can we conclude from that? Either blessings and curses come from different sources, they don't all come from the same source, and James was mistaken, or blessings and curses do come from the same source, but the blessings are really not sincere blessings, or Maybe if I continually to struggle in this area of my life and I'm not showing any progress in this area of taming my tongue, then I am not maturing and I'm not growing spiritually. And I need to work on that. And so the answer to all of this is the point of this passage. Tame your tongue. Tame your tongue. Okay, we get it. Tame my tongue. Okay, how, do, how exactly do I do that? It's a great question, and I'm glad you asked. <laughs> We've been looking at some really important reasons to do so, but how do we do that? Well, we're going to get to that when we talk about the next step, but first I want to talk about the memory verse. The memory verse for this week, I really hope that you are taking time to kind of think about these memory verses. It's not even the whole verse, it's just one little phrase that I hope triggers some memories in you. But today's memory verse comes from James 3 and verse 10, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Now he goes on to say, this should not be, okay? This is a bad thing. This is a mistake. I just wanted to abbreviate it for you. So with the tongue, we have blessings and curses coming out of our mouth. With our tongues, we praise God, and we sing songs to Him, and we pray to Him, and we greet our, our church family. And then with that same tongue, we go out here on Monday morning or maybe before we get out of the parking lot and we get stressed out and something comes out of our mouths that shouldn't have. And so write this in your notes. The tongue is a tattletale 
and it tells on our hearts. The tongue is a tattletale, and it tells on our hearts. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. Your tongue has betrayed you. It has revealed the condition of your heart. If bitter, hurtful words are always coming out of your mouth, then that has revealed the condition of your heart. If you're not showing progress in this area of your life, then that is showing the condition of your heart. But as you might start to get a little stressed out here and you feel a little tension in the room, let me tell you something. That's good news. The fact that God has given you this self-evaluation that you can think about the words that come out of your mouth and those words reveal the condition of your heart is great and awesome news because now you know. If it were just up to you, you would go on just thinking, hey man, I'm awesome. I really, you know, I I said hi to somebody. I smiled at somebody I didn't even know. I'm a good guy. Forget the 10 times that same day that you hurt somebody with your words or with your behavior. But God gives us this test and it's great news. God gives you this test to show the condition of your heart. You can write this in your notes. It's not on the screen. Proverbs 27, 6 says this. Faithful are the words of a friend. And he goes on to say, those words can be trusted. So words that come out of a friend's mouth can actually cause wounds. They can actually hurt. But he goes on to say, that is faithful and that is good. And those words can be trusted. That is awesome. Let me ask you, how many of you have a friend that loves you so much that they'll say hurtful things to you when you need to hear it? So many of us, are you married to them? (laughs) You know, so many of us don't have a friend like that. We need to have the kind of friend that will tell us the truth, that will confront us, and that will say the, the most loving thing that we need to hear, which is, man, you blew it. You really gotta, you really gotta work on this area of your life. But again, great news is this. Just as much power that the tongue has to do devastation and to tear down, it has just as much power to build up and to encourage and to do good things. Here's the passage from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Paul's writing to Christians and he says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So how do I tame my tongue? Here's your next step. I'm going to challenge you with this. The first part of your next step is this. Fill your mind with what is praiseworthy. Fill your mind with what is praiseworthy. Don't just attempt to stop bad behavior but replace that bad behavior with something that is good, something that is honorable, something that pleases God. And one thing that is true and praiseworthy that I want you to hear today is that God loves you. He loves you right now. He loves you exactly the way that you are. He loves you, not some future version of you when you get all this worked out and you get all this straightened out and, and, and you're, you're growing and maturing and you're, you're becoming more and more perfect and you've handled this. I'm not talking about that. He loves you right now. And that is something that is praiseworthy and you can think on that. He sent his son Jesus to pay your debt and to free you from guilt and shame. That's praiseworthy. He has a plan for your life to prosper you and to use you to share his love with those around you. That is praiseworthy. So don't find your identity in what others say about you when they use their tongues to run you down, but 
you know, feel like you have to defend yourself or feel like you have to run other people down to build yourself up. Find your identity in who God says that you are. Find your identity in being a child of God, someone who is loved, someone who is accepted, someone who is truly blessed. Then, don't just ask God to give you strength to overcome these tendencies. Oh, God, help me to control my tongue. Oh, God, help me to to fight that urge. But the second part of your challenge this morning is this. Ask God to change your heart. Because if your heart changes, the words that come out of your mouth are going to change, right? Because that's the source. Don't just keep trying harder, but rely on God. God sent the Holy Spirit to transform you more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And that is the same Holy Spirit that opened the tomb and raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and he lives in you. And if he can open a tomb, he can close a mouth, okay? And he loves you, and he wants to do a miracle in your life. So step by step, not perfection, not on this side of eternity, but progress for sure. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, and we love you, and... We come to you just with so much appreciation for the miracle that you do in our lives. And Lord, it is my fear that, that sometimes we allow words to manipulate us. We allow words in our culture to shape the way that we think and view important issues. Or we allow others' words to cause us to doubt the purpose that you have for our lives. And so today, Lord, we ask you to break that bondage, break that chain, the control that other people seem to have on us based on, our, on the words that they use. But Lord, I also pray that you would forgive us for the times that, that we have been less than wholesome with the language that we have used. Help us to use our words to build others up, to share your love, to strengthen the testimony of all that is good that you have done for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.